This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. More than one time this morning on the way in, I was asked, how are you? And my, my response was, I am ready for church. I hope you are. That song that we just sang about our God, how great that we have come to meet with a God who is greater, stronger, and mightier than anything we're going to encounter today. Isn't that great news? That's great news. And earlier this morning, Justin uh, pointed us to a promise. He said, God, we rest on that promise. We claim that promise. We live in that promise today. So as as I talk to us this morning and teach us out of God's Word, there will be various promises that God brings to mind. My prayer is that all of us would find a promise in here this morning that we will take with us this week and that it will form the context for our lives, that we could live in that promise. But I have one other prayer as well, and that is when we come to meet with God, usually He has something in our lives that He wants to work on. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And he speaks to us about that, and that's called conviction. I could make you feel guilty, but I can't bring conviction in your life. Only God can bring conviction. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for myself this morning, as we open God's Word and, and, and as we are taught out of God's Word, that if there's something in our life that we need to be convicted of, that God will bring that conviction in our life. Because if he does, we have a chance to do something about it. I was talking with a good friend of mine who lost his mother recently. Actually, it was his wife's mother. And uh, he was telling me uh, about something that was very sad in her life. She died at 68 years of age, which is not very old. Actually, it's sounding younger all the time to me. But (laughs) bottom line is... (laughs) Um, She died at 68 years of age, and her health started spiraling down with an accident that happened in her life. Uh, She was a diabetic, and she had lost feeling in her feet. And she did not know it, but she ran some bath water, and she had accidentally run straight hot water. And the water was scalding, and she didn't know it. And she lifted a foot over the bathtub, put her foot in the water, and thought it felt good. So she left it there and put her other foot in the water, thought it felt good, stood there for a minute or two, and then decided to sit down. And when she sat down, she realized how hot it was. But it literally burned the skin off of both of her feet. And that started an infection and some other stuff. But bottom line, you know what? You know, as I was listening to him tell that story, I was thinking, that's what conviction is supposed to do for us. And when God teaches us something, and it should make us feel uncomfortable, and we decide not to respond to that voice, it's like that lady putting her foot in the water and ignoring, or in her case, she didn't get the signals. So having said all that, we're going to have a great time learning from God's Word today. And we have a little surprise for you at the end that's related to India. Are you ready for that? Yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, so, uh, but between now and then, I want to talk to you about GPS. For those of you who are brand new to New Life, my name is Ron. 
I'm New Life Senior Pastor, and for the next 30 minutes, maybe 28 now, I'm going to be talking to you out of God's Word. No, let's make it 26, all right? So here we go. Uh, on the inside of your program, there are some teaching notes. You can pull them out, and uh, you can fill in the blanks as we go along. I saw a t-shirt the other day. We have some t-shirt connoisseurs in this church. Are you aware of that? There are certain gentlemen in this church that always sport a different kind of t-shirt, and you can actually learn a lot about them just by reading their t-shirts. Okay? Well, thankfully, it wasn't on any of these guys that I saw this t-shirt. But in big, bold letters, it declared this on the front. Those of you who think you know everything really bug those of us who do. You know, the, the title of this message and this series is Beyond GPS. And it struck me as I was working on this message that the principal reason that you and I will go out and spend our hard-earned money to buy a GPS is really this. We believe that the GPS has knowledge and information that we don't have. Isn't that right? Because if you knew everything that was in the GPS, you wouldn't buy it. Yeah. Now let's look at the principal verse for this entire Bible teaching series. Here it is up on, the, up on the video screens. If you need wisdom. I've met a lot of smart people in my life, but never anyone who had more wisdom than they needed. We all need more wisdom than we have. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you. For asking, that is the desire of God's heart. I have a GPS um, app in my phone that I use all of the time, and it—I'm amazed at how it takes the stress out of driving. I have a little thing up there in my uh, vent that I can put my phone in. I pull, I plug in my address, I put it up there, and the lady just tells me where to go, and over and over again, I'm amazed at how it takes the stress out of finding a place. No longer when I'm at night do I have to look for half-covered um, street signs that, are, that have been covered by overgrown vegetation. Have you been there before? And you can't see them until you're way past it. And, oh, man, that was my turn right back there. And all the other stuff. When you got the navigation, boy, it just tells you turn here, turn there, go here, go there. And virtually all of the time, it's right. Have you ever wished that you could have one of those for life? Wouldn't that be great? It would take all the stress out of life. Should I take this job, not take this job? And the voice from the GPS would say, take the job good, I'm in. Right? You know, the interesting thing is God has offered to be your GPS and mine in life. That's the whole point of having a personal relationship with God. That's the whole point of becoming a follower of Christ. It's we believe that he has information that we don't have. But now James deals with the reality of life in the next two verses that we haven't talked about yet in this series. So I want to read the next two verses to you. And let's go to verses 6 through 8. But when you ask him for that wisdom, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now, you know why he said God alone? Because you're going to have a tendency to put your faith in yourself. 
In other words, and Kevin talked to you about that while I was gone. The gods of I need, or I think, or I want. Okay? He says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed about by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided, and they are unstable in everything they do. You know, I've noticed this about my GPS. Sooner or later, my GPS will give me a direction that is actually counter to what I would have chosen. Have you noticed that with your GPS? You're going to a place, and it's even a tall building, and you can see it right over there. It's on your right. And you're going down the road, and the GPS says, turn left. And now you have a choice. Do I follow what I see? Or do I follow my GPS? I can tell you that on some occasions I have decided I was smarter than the GPS. Right? And I turned right and I drove right to the building I wanted only to find out I was on the wrong side of the street and there was no way to turn into the driveway I was supposed to turn into. Have you ever done that? Because your GPS knew that in order to get on the right side of the street where you could actually turn into the driveway you needed to turn into, even though the building was on your right, you had to turn left first. You had to go around the block, and then you had to get on the proper street in order to come into it correctly. The truth is, sooner or later in life, God is going to give you a direction that's going to run counter to your nature and what you would choose for yourself. And in that moment of time, you get to make the choice of who's really in control of your life. And if you decide to do what you think is best, or what you want to do, or even what looks wiser to you, then God's not really guiding you in life. Who is? You are. You're saying, God, guide me as long as I agree with your directions. Okay? No? You don't have a GPS. You are the GPS. Okay? So what God is calling us to... See, the truth is, if you and I could get a hold of it, and if you and I could really believe it, uh, uh, there was a principle that flashed up on the screen that talked to you about God's will. God's will is what I would choose if I could see everything that God sees and if I could know everything that God knows. I would choose what he has already chosen for me. But the truth is, eventually life will throw you a curveball. And it will try to derail you. Justin was talking to you this morning about um, how things went in India and how that sometimes you just kind of showed up and did whatever they wanted you to do and... and, um, that's kind of how it worked. And I remember when Lisa and I were there a few years ago, we were at a church service and sitting in the audience, and the next thing you know, they said, and now Ron's daughter Lisa will come up and sing a solo for everyone. <laughs> That's exactly how it happened, right? Well, when I got here this morning, I cannot even tell you all the curveballs that came my direction this morning, just trying to get ready for this particular church service. So kind of between the hours of 7 and 9 o'clock, It was craziness. But you know something? In the middle of all of the craziness and trying to catch up and make sure everything that was done that needed to be gotten done, in the middle of all of that, there was the strong and steady flow 
of God's will that I could choose to get into and stay into where there was peace, where I could branch out into my own and get all frantic. And you know, in the end, what God said was, stay in the flow. And I think that's his message for us today. Now I want to put up on the screen an image that sort of burned into our national consciousness. You remember this image? Yeah, that's Flight 1545, U.S. Airways Flight 1545 in the Hudson River. It was carefully placed there by Captain William Sullenberg, that we Nortberger, that we normally call Sully, right? And we all marveled at his ability to stay calm in the midst of, of, of a situation where his life was on the line and the lives of his 155 passengers, they were all on the line and birds had flown into both engines uh, of, the, of that uh, aircraft and, and debilitated both engines and he couldn't make it back to the airport. Even though the tower was saying, try to make it back, try to make it back with calm reserve, he said, I'm putting it down in the river. And he lined it up, and he took it just over the top of one bridge and set it down in the river, and it stopped before it got to the next bridge. Not a single life was lost. When they interviewed him afterwards, they said, how could you do that? I want you to hear what he had to say. Because, friends, this is a modern-day proverb. It's a modern-day parable. Just like Jesus said, the sower went out to sow the seed, and he told parables. This is a parable in our day and age. And I don't want us to miss its truth. He said, you know, I really didn't do anything outstanding. He said, as a fighter pilot, I trained for this over and over and over again. And when I encountered the situation, all I did was I did what I had been trained to do. And I didn't even have to think that hard about it. Because, catch this word, I had practiced it over and over again. Now here's the truth of that parable for us. There are practices that God is calling you and me to build into our lives that will make sure that we not only get on the right course, but we stay on the right course. And if we build these practices into our lives, they virtually guarantee that we will stay on the course. Because the truth is, you can have a GPS, and you can learn to hear the voice from that GPS that Kevin talked to you about two weeks ago. You can learn to trust the voice of that GPS that he talked to you about last week. But friends, if you and I don't stay on the course, how many wrong turns does it take to get you to the wrong destination? Sort of only one. Okay, so let's talk about five practices that will keep us on the right course. And if we build them into our lives, they will be things that we do in moments of crisis, almost without thinking, like Sully did, almost without thinking, that will keep our life steady and stayed on the right course. Number one is this. I must practice applying what I learn from God's Word. Did you know that easily the biggest danger in going to church and in reading your Bible regularly is a false sense of spiritual development? James recognized that. Same, same author of, of the verses that we just read. And notice 
that, that James talks about being hearers and, and not doers of the word. And Paul breaks this out for us here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for rebuking error. That's the convicting part that we talked about this morning. For correcting faults. That's a little bit more of that conviction. And giving instruction for right living. That's how to develop and grow spiritually so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. Now, fully qualified and fully equipped means this. It means that we have been properly trained. If you go back and look up that word in the original, it means properly trained and trained with the correct, what's the next word? Practices. These are not things you can do once in your life. You have to do them over and over again. You have to practice them. So fully equipped means properly trained with the correct practices. Because if you come to church and you listen to a teaching, and your response is, man, I'm really glad I learned that. Okay? Not, you're not done yet. Now that you have learned that, ask yourself this question. What difference does this make in my life? How should this change what I do, and who I am, and where I go, and what I say, and what I think about, and how I respond. Because if you don't take it through that particular process, then you will just learn more and more and more and more, and you will end up with a false sense of spiritual development because you will think that spiritual development and maturity is about what you know or where you go. This is what I know, and where I go is the church. But the truth is, take a look at the the point up on the board. The truth is, spiritual maturity is never measured in terms of what I know or where I go. But it is measured in how I act and what I actually become. You know what that means? It means, friends, that you and I cannot take a single day off. In just a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to select some next steps. My prayer is that you will take the time to process that and that you will not only check the the appropriate boxes, but that you will take that with you this week and that you won't take the day off in applying God's Word, but that you will go and you will practice what God has spoken to you about this morning so it becomes part of your life. It becomes part of who you are. It's part of practicing staying on the course. Let's go to number two. I must practice talking to God as my Father. Here's the truth about God. God wants to share everything with us. Now, over and over again, as I talk with Christians and I talk to them about prayer, Usually they will say to me, Pastor, I don't pray as often or as much as I should. And you know what I know that that means? That's usually code for I pray most of the time before I eat and most of the time before I go to bed and not much in between. That's, that's what that's code for. Now, why is that so? I find that most Christians have, have this sense or this feeling 
that, that prayer is sort of making a speech to God. It's a little bit like what would happen if you appeared before the President of the United States or the Queen of England or, or some great dignitary. It would be like a well-formulated, well-thought-out, carefully prepared speech, albeit a small one, that you give to them. Can I assure you, though God is the ruler of heaven and earth, and he is the almighty and the all-powerful, and he is literally the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, when it comes to the context of prayer, he never presents himself that way. You know how he presents himself in the context of prayer from, from the beginning of Scripture to the end? As our Father. Just think about that for a minute. Not as our Lord, not as our Master, not as our Ruler, not as our King, not even as our Creator. He postures Himself as our Father because prayer is really a child talking to its Father. I want to teach you a couple of principles, more principles about that. You see, when a father and a son or a daughter are sort of distant or separated or they're not tight with each other, then the truth is they only talk about the big things. You know, if mom's in the hospital, they talk. If one of the kids is going through a divorce, they talk. If the house burns to the ground, they talk, right? But they can only talk about the big big stuff because they're not tight. But when a father and his children are tight, man, they can talk about little things, tiny things, trivia, if you will, in life. There's two principles I want you to see out of that, okay? The first one's not in your notes, but you might want to write this down in the margin. If you want to deepen your relationship with God, start talking to Him about the little stuff. He wants to know it. He's your dad. And the second one is this, and this one is in your notes. Here it is on the board up in the video screen. And that is, if we listen to God in the little things... It, if we talk to God about the little things, it makes it easier to listen to God in the big things. I'm going to read this to you out of the story of the life of King David here in Psalm chapter 31. Take a look. David says, Oh, Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, uh, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. Now, let's just stop right there. Does this sound big or little? What do you think? It sounds big, doesn't it? I mean, when I started reading this passage, I'm thinking David's in a battle, right? He's got to be in a battle. They're firing arrows at him. His life is on the line. This is big stuff. Now he goes on to say, notice. He says, For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. For you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but you've set me in a safe place. 
How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. And when you get all the way down to the last verse, you realize what he's talking about. You shelter them in your presence far from what? Accusing tongues. Have you heard anybody gossip about you? David's in the middle of someone gossiping about him. Was this a big deal? Was he out in the battle with arrows that were going everywhere? No, somebody had made up a story about him that evidently wasn't true, and they were sort of muddying his name. And David, he just went to God and said, You know, God, I know it's not a big deal. This is a big deal to me, but I know it's probably not a big deal to you. But it bugs me when they talk about me like that, and it's not true. I just wanted to come to you and ask you to save me from this. Protect my name. Sort of hold me harmless. I want you to see that David caught on to something that would be good for us. And that is to know that no matter what's happening in our lives, it's good for us to be able just to go to God and say, Oh God, help me to find your peace in this so that this doesn't become a big deal. It's a little thing. What it does is when I practice, you know what I call these? I call these breath prayers. They're only a sentence or two long. But what they do is they enable me to talk to God about something that's happening in my life. And I make sure that I have him fully on board and I'm fully on board with him. And I would encourage you, learn how to pray breath prayers, one or two sentences that simply are your heart talking to God. And by the way, when you, when you fire up a breath prayer, it's also a good idea to listen because you might get a breath answer back. You understand what I'm saying? You're not just firing missiles out into space hoping they hit somewhere. You, you, you've given a prayer to God. And if you talk to God, it might be a good idea to listen. Correct? Shake your head like this. Yeah. Good idea to listen. All right? So there's number two. All right? Let's go to number three. I must practice. And you notice I'm having you write in the word practice every time, and that's all I'm having you write in. I'm doing that on purpose. These are not one-time things. You've got to do them all the time. Practice. I must practice inviting my friends to church with me. Think about that. Why would it be important for me to invite my friends to church with me? Let me give you some reasons. First of all, it keeps our focus off of ourselves and onto other people, which is where it belongs. You know, if I don't invite my friends to church, when I come to church, I'm, I'm just sort of me-centered but when I start inviting my friends to church, all of a sudden I care about what happens in the children's ministry because my, friend, my friends have kids. And I want to make sure those kids are treated carefully. And if I'm not careful, God might say to me, Ron, why don't you go work in the kids' ministry? It's amazing when I start inviting my friends how it puts my focus where it should be. Secondly, here's a second reason. It helps us make proper behavior choices. You know, when I invite my neighbors to come to church with me, it keeps me from yelling at them when they do stupid things. I mean, it automatically reduces my temptation level. That's a great thing. And it's just great for me to continually invite people to come to church because it sets their expectation in my life where it should be and helps me live up to where I should be living to anyway. And then thirdly, it motivates me to grow spiritually. 
When I invite a friend to church, and they come to church and they become Christians, I realize I've been a Christian longer than they have been, and therefore I should be spiritually more mature than they are. But I watch them, and they really begin to grow spiritually. I think, man, I better get with it. And rightfully so. It's amazing how just inviting people to church changes so many things in our lives. Now, what I want you to see is how this is supposed to work. Because a lot of times people say, man, I wouldn't know what to say to invite somebody to church. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. In the Bible, there's a three-word phrase that was used over and over again, and it still works. I want to read it to you. Take a look here in John. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was study his Bible and become a Bible scholar so he could invite someone to come and see Jesus. Is that what it says in your Bible? No, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now the little phrase that Simon used, and if I was to go ahead and read the rest of it to you, he simply said, come and see. Can you say that out loud with me? Let's say it together. Ready? Come and see. Is that hard to say? That's not hard to say. And when God has changed your life, you just go to your friends and say, hey, won't you come to church with me and see? You know, if it doesn't work for you, I'm okay with that. If you're not ready to listen to that, I'm okay with that. But I want you to know it's changed my life. Just come with me and see one time. Because here's the principle. Come and see is the normal and most effective way people introduce their friends to Jesus. So I want you to practice that. We're going to give you a big day in the fall where we're going to to shoot to to, to try to double our attendance in one day. Why? Because the people that we say come and see to, many of them, God has been working in their lives preparing them for a life-changing encounter with Him. And if God's been preparing them for a life-changing encounter with Him, would we want them to miss that? No. And we are the people He's going to give that invitation to. Through. Okay? Let's go to number four. I must practice honoring God with my finances. This is probably the least intuitive, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I do want to point us to two passages of Scripture, and the first one is in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Moses said, The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first place in your life. Wow. You know, I don't know how to say it any simpler than that, although I'll give you one little word picture. Here it is. Tithing keeps God in the driver's seat. Is that okay? That's really what Moses said. Tithing keeps God in the driver's seat of your life. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, your heart will always be where your money is. In other words, if you want to change the location of your heart, move your pocketbook. Move your wallet. There's a whole group of people sitting here this morning who could probably not care less about Google stock. You don't know what it runs. You don't know if it's 2 bucks or $2,000. It doesn't make any difference to you. Why? Because you don't own any. 
But if you were to give me a couple grand and I were to go out and invest that in Google stock for you, immediately you would become interested in Google. Am I, am I correct? Of course. Because the way you change where your heart is is you change where you put your money. It's just that simple. And so the great thing about practicing this is when I become a generous giver and I invest in what God is doing in this church and around the world, it takes my heart and puts it where it belongs and that will keep me on the right course. Number five. I must practice actively participating in Christian fellowship. Let me give you some reasons for this. I'll give you three. Number one, when we take the journey, and I'm talking about the journey of faith, when we take the journey of faith alone, we needlessly endanger our own faith. I want you to write this down in your margin somewhere, okay? None of us is stronger than all of us together. Does that make sense? If I want to be strong, I put myself in a place of Christian fellowship and I get stronger than I could ever be on my own. Here's the second reason. When we take the journey alone, we never become all that we could be. You know, farmers knew this for years. Back in the days when they had horses and oxen and they plowed with horses and oxen, they realized that you take this horse and you hitch it up to a wagon and let's say it can pull 1,500 pounds. And you take this other horse and you hitch it up to a wagon and it can pull 1,500 pounds. So you think, my goodness, if I put both horses together, they could pull 3,000 pounds. But they found out if they put both the horses together into a yoke that they could pull 4,000 pounds, even though they could only pull 1,500 each by themselves. It's the truth. Something about being in it together that makes us more than we could ever be on our own. And number three, when we take the journey alone, we rob others of the influence they could have and should have received from us. God has given to each of us an amazing ability to influence other people for good. And one of the reasons he calls us into a local church and one of the reasons that he calls us into a life group in this particular church is because the people in that life group ought to have our influence in their lives. God has put something in us that they will benefit from. And if I just decide I'll take the journey on my own, I rob them of what they could have received from me because, frankly, I was too selfish to put myself in a place where they could get it from me. As we close, I want to make a bold statement and I want to read you a scripture. I've been in ministry now, leading ministry. I've been a pastor for 41 years. Here's where this whole message comes down to application. In 41 years of being a pastor... I have yet to meet a single person who did these five practices in their lives regularly who didn't stay on course. I've known a lot of people who did one or two and they fell off course. I've known some people who did all five but only for three or six months and then they just didn't stay with it and they, uh, they thought they could make it on their own. They kind of didn't need this and that and so forth. 
I've never met a single person who built all five of those into their life as regular practices who didn't stay on course. What God's prayer for you is, God's prayer for you and God's prayer for me, is that you and I would be able to say what the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life. Take a look at it. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have remained faithful. That means I've stayed on course. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Would you pray with me? Lord, that's our prayer this morning. That's my prayer for every single person in this room this morning. That at the end of our lives, we could all say and say it with integrity and say it with deep conviction and meaning because it's true. It's the reality of our lives that we will have fought a good fight. We will have finished the course. We will have kept the faith in every way. Lord, so that when it comes time for us to pass from this life into the next, we could do it with the confidence of Paul who said, Now I know that there's a crown that's waiting for me. Because that too is a reality. So Lord, would you speak to us now about the specific things that you're calling us to this morning in our individual lives so that we could respond as we should. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.